Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality, with an emphasis on BDSM, kink, and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week is going to be Threesomes Part 2. I'm also going to answer some questions about callers that I got from the last episode. This is an adult podcast, and I'm going to be speaking of things of an explicitly sexual nature, so... If that's not your thing, now is the time to tune out. Or if you have kids around and you don't want them to hear this kind of thing, also, come back to this later with your earbuds in. Before we get started, I want to send a special Patreon shout-out to Cynthia. Thank you for your donation. The Patreons are the wheels that make the bus go round, to steal a line from another podcast I enjoy. And it's true. I really appreciate the support I get from the Patreons. It helps keep this thing running and helps give me a lot of incentive to get in here and record. If you would like to be a Patreon supporter, head over to our website, wickedfellow.com. You can find all of our sites there. Our adult sites are linked there, of course. Our social media is there. The YouTube page is there. The podcast is hosted there. All of your Wicked Ways Studios' needs, interests, and desires can be found at wickedfellow.com. How's that for a commercial reading? Never was good at that. People often ask if I do voiceover or radio stuff, and I have actually done a tiny bit, uh, mostly for theater. And I would love to be the spokesperson for any company that I don't disagree with on a fundamental level. So I will sell Velveeta cheese. I will sell insurance. I'll sell anything you want. If you happen to be a company looking for a voice actor, or you just want someone to read you a lullaby, let me know. I can happily do that. I had a lot of great questions from the caller episode, and that is awesome. The more feedback I get from you guys, the more I feel like I'm reaching you and that there's interaction. And that interaction between creator and audience is crucial to me in creating the best possible podcast I can. So... If you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to say or know, let me know. Reach out on Instagram or through our website. You can email me directly. The links are there. One of the questions that I got involved my commentary on how you shouldn't buy a cheap collar for your submissive. And again, that was so specific. If you're buying them a collar as a symbol of your relationship, then it should be more than a $5 collar from Wish.com, I think. It should have a bit more meaning to it. And their question was along the lines of, A, how much should a good collar cost? And is it something like an engagement ring where it should cost three months' salary? Part of this is a scale thing. I think even a very, very nice collar is not going to cost more than $500. I've never seen one that expensive, but I'm assuming somebody out there is selling Gucci collars for $500. An expensive collar we're talking somewhere in the range of 250 to $300. That's the range that I do custom collars in and that I've seen other creators doing collars. Those are bordering on the jewelry style collars. They often have, you know, actual gold fittings or they're made in gold wire, for example. Down to 50 or 60 for a credible collar that's not made out of, you know, PVC vinyl pleather, something thin and cheap feeling where it's not really stitched together very well, et cetera, it's going to come apart. Um, You know, again, it really is a matter of if you're giving someone a symbol of a relationship, put a little money into it. You know, I'm not gatekeeping. I'm not saying you have to buy a $300 collar. Otherwise, you're not doing enough. And that was a part of their question was, you know, how do I feel about the wedding ring industry 
trying to goad people into buying more and more expensive jewelry. And I do not agree with that. I think that's a very clever marketing campaign to sell people really expensive things they don't need. So I don't, I don't go along with the three month salary for an engagement ring either. It should be something that's not cheap, but it should also be something that feels right between the two of you. It feels good to give this to somebody and it does have a bit of meaning to it. And that monetary value is part of that. You know, it's hard to put a lot of meaning on a $5 collar. And when I said that, I meant literally, you can get $5 BDSM collars, but they look like $5 BDSM collars. So yeah, spend a little bit. Don't go outside your means. Don't spend, you know, everything you have and then eat ramen for a month. You have to make that good call, but yeah. So, you know, how much should you spend? Depends on what you can afford, but you cannot buy a super expensive collar. It's just not something that's made. I don't think anybody has a $3,000 BDSM collar, at least not in the circles that I play in. Perhaps someone does have a diamond studded collar, which would be very cool. And if that Dom was able to afford that and it felt good to them, awesome. I have no problem with that. But at the same time, you know, $5, too little. 5000 probably too much. And the right amount is up to you, your finances, your dom, your sub, etc. So that's, that's what I'm looking at. Another good question I got was, do you need to have a relationship outside of a BDSM relationship in order to be given a collar or accept a collar? No. And I should have made that more clear when I was talking about Katja and myself. Katya and I do have both a BDSM relationship and a vanilla relationship, if you will. And not really in our case, as we have, you know, a full-time BDSM relationship. But it's not uncommon for me to have a strictly BDSM relationship and a strictly vanilla relationship with the same person. And that's not true across the board. I've also had strictly BDSM and strictly vanilla without any overlap, meaning that I only played with this person in a BDSM sense. We did not see each other outside of a BDSM sense. And that could absolutely be a relationship that involves a collar. So no, you don't have to have the dual nature relationship. You do not have to have a BDSM life and a vanilla life with the same person to have that lasting BDSM collared relationship that can stand on its own completely separate. And a lot of people only have a BDSM relationship with their dom or their sub. They don't meet in regular life, you know, regular day-to-day -day vanilla life. They only see each other in a BDSM setting. And another good question was, what happens when the relationship is over? Relationships don't always last, and that's fine. That's part of being a human. That's part of growing. That's part of changing. Sometimes relationships end inimicably, and that's unfortunate. Sometimes it's a matter of... Someone has to move, or jobs change, or it's a drifting apart that ends amicably. When a BDSM relationship ends, and I'm speaking specifically of a collared relationship, something that involved using a collar as a symbol of that relationship, it's up to you guys, right? Everybody gets to make their own rules for how a BDSM relationship works. In my personal relationships, if I've given a sub a collar, and they're a member of my household, and they have a personal collar that belongs to them, it's still their collar. I don't want that collar back. If they wanted to, I suppose they could then go on with their life and continue to use that collar to play with other people. I don't think they would want to, kind of in the same way you wouldn't necessarily want to get married again with the wedding ring from your previous marriage, right? I don't think that would feel very good. 
I don't know, maybe it would. I know some people get married with their grandmother's ring, for example, but that doesn't have the same connotation as this is the ring that my ex-husband gave me and I just want to reuse it. I, I don't feel like that would be terribly tasteful, but I'm not going to judge somebody that chooses to do that. So if I gave a collar to a submissive and our relationship ended, it's their collar. They can keep it. And if they wanted to use it again, sure, it's not going to affect me because, again, that collar is a symbol of the relationship. If that relationship ends, that collar no longer has any symbolic meaning to me. I don't think a sub would continue to use the same collar, but they could if they wanted to. Just to compare and contrast, remember that the collars that belong to my household that I use with people that are not in a relationship with me, they always stay with me. They remain with me. So, for example, when I was working with Lavender, and I still am, we hope to film again soon, hopefully. In the BDSM scene that we did, she was wearing the household collar. But Lavender is not a submissive of mine. She does not have a relationship with me as a submissive. So while she wore the collar for that scene, and in that scene she chose to submit, when that scene was over, the collar came off, it stays with me, and there is no binding relationship between us as a dominant submissive. That's how that works. So yeah, there's, there's two different things. Equipment collars, they don't have a lot of emotional significance. Bondage collars that are given to a submissive from a dominant, those can have a heavy emotional significance and would probably not be used in any other relationship. And finally... A listener asked the question, how do I feel about self-collaring? And that happens when a sub is not in a relationship with a dominant per se and wants to be collared to themselves. And I don't have a lot of experience with this. I don't personally have a problem with it. If a sub chose to wear a collar and that collar was symbolic of their own self-worth and how they felt about themselves and they felt like by wearing the collar, it was expressing something about themselves. You know, like I said, I have no problem with someone wearing a collar of any kind, whether it's for fashion, whether it's in a BDSM relationship, or whether it would be a sub that chose to self-collar. I don't know enough about self-collaring to weigh in heavily on that, but I see no problem with it. I think it could be a healthy expression of a submissive nature for a sub to wear a collar, even if they were not in a relationship with a dom. Sometimes it can be kind of a proactive protection device. And I say that in the kink public play space scene. So if you're at a kink event and you see a person that you take to be a submissive and they're wearing a collar, again, it's a lot like someone wearing a wedding ring at a bar. It kind of tells you this person is in a relationship with someone or is probably in a relationship with someone. They are probably taken. They are probably not on the market. And a sub may choose to wear a collar, not having a dom, to kind of fend off unwanted advances. You know, I have no problem with that either. Again, how you choose to express yourself, what you want to wear, I'm very chill and relaxed on that. I want everybody to make their own decisions. And if you don't want to get hit on by every person at a bar on kink night, choosing to wear a collar might be a way of saying, hey, you know, I'm collared, back away. And I have nothing wrong with that either. Okay, on to this week's topic, which is more tips and tricks on how to have a healthy, happy threesome. In the last episode, we talked about, you know, kind of setting up a threesome, what's involved in getting three people to want to be in bed together at the same time, which, you know, as I said, is kind of rare. There's a reason they call it unicorn hunting. It can be very difficult to find three people that want to be intimate together. But we're going to assume that that part is over. 
and it's the big night. We're ready to have the threesome. We've all decided we're going to have a fun time together. You know, what next? You know, last episode we talked about foreplay and how important foreplay can be in initiating a threesome. You know, that's very true. A lot of these tips and tricks, I think, apply to sex generally, not just to threesome situations. And something that is especially important in a threesome situation for a guy specifically is sexual stamina, endurance, right? This can be a problem that a lot of guys face um, if they climax too quickly before their partner has had time to really enjoy the encounter, etc. You know, that's a problem that a lot of guys struggle with. And in a threesome situation, you know, again, you're adding in another element. That element can be very exciting. So in the threesome situation, you may be very excited. You may have even less stamina than you normally would because of everything that's going on. That's something to consider from the male perspective. You know, how do you prepare yourself? How do you pace yourself so that you can have a lasting encounter? Because if you're the only guy in a threesome situation, it's now on you to have sex with more than one person sequentially or together at the same time. And that can take a lot of sexual endurance, a lot of sexual stamina. You know, one thing for guys that do have a problem with climaxing too quickly in sex is have an orgasm before, have a little pregame. There's nothing wrong with letting off some steam, as it were, you know, whether that's through mutual masturbation or solo masturbation. There's a recharge period. Usually, immediately after a guy has an orgasm, his sexual interest and stamina disappears. He doesn't want to do anything sexual. He wants to roll over and go to sleep. And I'm sure that there's a biological imperative for that. However, we're working with things that aren't necessarily biologically imperative driven. So kind of learn your own recharge speed. If it takes you a half hour or an hour to be interested in sex again after you have an orgasm, maybe have an orgasm about an hour before things kick off for real in the threesome situation. That can give you a lot more stamina when it comes time for the big event. You're much less likely to climax too quickly if you've already had an orgasm within an hour or so. And that'll depend greatly on the individual. It may take you two hours to recover, or it only may take you 15 minutes. You have to deal with that on a personal basis. But yeah, it's, it's a proven quality tip that if you have a problem with premature ejaculation or you climax too quickly, try having an orgasm before the encounter, recharge, and then go into the encounter. And you might find that your stamina is increased many fold. You may be able to go three or four times as long as you normally would. But say you've done everything you can, you masturbated ahead of time and you had an orgasm and then you go into the threesome situation. And because it's so exciting, you end up having an orgasm too soon, like right away. Now what do you do? Well, you keep playing. You should have a broad enough sexual repertoire that that's not your only tool in the game. You know, you need to be able to use your hands and your mouth and your body completely if you want to be a good sexual partner for anybody. So yeah, if you end up climaxing too quickly and you want the scene to continue and everybody wants the scene to continue, keep playing. There's a lot of things you can do besides having actual intercourse. And it's very likely that during that continued play, you will become aroused again, and then you can continue. Don't stress out about it too much, because I believe that a lot of these problems are as much mental as they are physical. 
So if you get too stressed about it, that can make a lot of performance anxiety and that can mess you up mentally, which will make you not able to perform physically. So go into it with a relaxed attitude, knowing that, you know, you don't have full control over this stuff. Nobody does. And if you end up having a premature climax, clean up and keep going. There's no reason that the show has to stop just because you had your orgasm already. In a threesome, there's three people, and ideally, everybody should have an orgasm, or five. Keep it going and have fun. Another thing that's an important consideration in a threesome situation is sexual safety and sexual health, of course. And I don't talk about this enough on the podcast, and I will talk about it some more, and that's having safe, protected sex. Not all relationships, the partners are fluid bonded, meaning that they don't use condoms or that kind of STI protection between the two of them. And a lot of relationships have very strict rules and guidelines on what it means to be fluid bonded. You know, if you're in a poly relationship, you may be fluid bonded with one partner, but your other partner, you always use protection. That's, that's not uncommon. So if you're in a three-way situation, you have to decide beforehand what the protocol is going to be. Are you guys going to have unprotected sex? Which is fine as long as everybody has been tested and everybody is aware of the risks, you know, that go along with having unprotected sex. But on a more fundamental level, there can be a bit of difficulty when you have three people with different body chemistries all having sex together. Sometimes there can be a higher likelihood of, say, yeast infections or that kind of thing. I'm not saying that it's a certainty or that it always happens, but if you are switching between partners in close succession, you're introducing all that body chemistry from one person to another, and it can be problematic. Not always, but it's something to be aware of when you're looking at the threesome situation. So a threesome situation, especially the first time, is a great place to practice really good sexual health, including using condoms and dental dams and all the things that may prevent that direct fluid to fluid to fluid transfer because you have three people involved. Just kind of basic sexual health and cleanliness can be a really important thing. I think that a lot of people get the wrong idea about everything that's involved in sex because... As portrayed in the movies, sex is a very clean and easy thing to do, and there's never any cleanup. There's never any preparation shown, for example. You know, and porn perpetuates this, including the stuff that I make. You know, when we make porn videos, we don't show the steps that go into making it, getting very clean and cleaning out if we're doing that kind of scene, etc. That all happens off camera. And of course, the cleanup happens off camera as well. So I think some people go into it kind of forgetting that you're about to make a mess. You know, if you're having good sex, it's probably going to be messy. Being prepared for that, having towels on hand, having a way to clean up during on hand can really help facilitate a healthy, happy sexual encounter. So one thing that I love to do, and this is a tip that I've used for a long, long time, but haven't really thought about that not everybody may do this, is get some wet washcloths. Get them, you know, nice, warm, wet washcloths put them inside of a heating pad so that they remain nice and warm because a cold washcloth is a big killjoy in a sexual encounter, but a nice warm washcloth can just be part of the play. So yeah, I, I tend to put a couple of wet washcloths inside of a heating pad. They stay nice and warm. Another thing you can do is get a little mini crock pot 
you know, don't laugh. This stuff really works. Sometimes those mini crock pots don't have great temperature control, so they can be too hot to be used, you know, immediately. But having some way of quickly and easily cleaning up without having to leave the situation, go find a bathroom, you know, leave your partner in bed wondering what's going on, etc. It's nice to be able to just reach over onto the nightstand, grab a nice warm wet washcloth, clean up whatever's going on, whatever bodily fluids or anything else that's happening in a fun sexual encounter, and then keep going. This is a great thing in a threesome situation where you may be switching between having sex with one partner to the other. And I would always recommend just taking a second. If you're using protection like a condom, change condoms. If you're not using protection like a condom, just take a second to use a warm, wet washcloth to wipe yourself down before you initiate contact with the next partner can really help prevent things like, you know, yeast infections and urinary tract infections and that kind of thing. I'm not trying to gross anybody out or make it seem like it's especially dangerous. It's really not, but it can happen. And whenever you have two different body chemistries that are meeting for the first time, you know, a lot of women will know when they have a new sexual partner, they're much more likely to get a urinary tract infection. They're much more likely to get a yeast infection because of that new body chemistry involved. They have not adapted to it. Whereas when you're in a long-term relationship with someone, your body chemistries have adapted to each other and you're much less likely to get those very common, not shameful at all. It happens to everybody, you know, urinary tract and yeast infections and all kinds of other things that can go wrong. That's just a normal part of sexuality. We need to destigmatize that and make it clear to people that this happens to everybody. I don't think I've ever had a sexual partner that at some point didn't have a UTI, right? It just happens. Um, women know this, I'm sure, but going to the bathroom immediately after sex can help flush that and make it less likely to get a UTI. But if you don't, now you know. You know, when we're talking about all kinds of different sexual practices, having a mindset on safety is really important. And the more easily you can facilitate that sexual safety, the better. So a little bit of pre-planning. Having clean dry towels and having some warm wet washcloths can really help in a threesome situation to keep things running smoothly. And if anybody needs a quick cleanup, you know, wow, right there, good to go. And that's good pre-planning that can help things continue to move smoothly rather than interrupting the action so someone can go clean up in the bathroom. Like anything in life, sometimes this takes practice. You know, if this is the very first time you've ever had a threesome, there's a lot of moving parts, there's a lot of stuff going on, and it might take you a couple tries to feel comfortable and feel relaxed and enjoy it and learn what positions work for you and what positions don't work for you. As far as position goes, you know, your imagination is the only limit. Everybody should be relatively comfortable, but outside of that, anything goes. And there's a lot of different positions that three people can be in to have satisfying, fun sex. So experiment with that. Have fun with it. Be relaxed with it. Understand that the very first time three people are together, there's going to be a bit of awkwardness. There's going to be a bit of learning how it all works. And if it's hopefully fun for all three of you, keep doing it and you'll learn what works best for all of you. And it can be something that you all look forward to and want to do a lot. I hope so, because threesomes can be a lot of fun for everybody involved. You know, what happens afterwards? What do you do after the threesome is over? You know, as mentioned before, it's really nice to have the ability to clean up without leaving. You know, having wet washcloths, having dry towels, 
being able to clean up and dry off without leaving the situation because there can be a lot of a break in the feel if you have to get up and go somewhere to clean up. So I really highly recommend having everything you need right there by the bed. And then it's nice to cuddle. Cuddling post threesome can be the best part of a threesome, you know. Being close and intimate with two people that you have good feelings for and affection for can be an amazing feeling. It can be really nice. It can be really relaxing to just lay there and all cuddle together and hopefully fall asleep. There's um, some tips for sleeping as three, which can be a bit awkward if you've never slept in a bed with two other people. Who's ever in the middle kind of has to be the, the hero of the game because you get kind of trapped. One thing that I would definitely recommend, if you have three people in one bed, you need at least two covers. Don't try to have one cover for everybody. It can be very difficult to regulate your temperature, and it can be even more difficult if the person in the middle needs to get up. You are kind of trapped there. So having two blankets with an overlap in the middle allows the person in the middle to remove one of the blankets and exit the bed. This is something that you don't always think about unless you spend a lot of time in bed with three people. So three people in one bed, two covers minimum. I can tell you, having had a lot of single partners, having two covers can save a marriage. It's very nice if you have a partner that likes to steal covers, for example. Not saying that Koch is one of those people, but Koch is absolutely one of those people. If you have your own blanket, that can be a lifesaver. So consider having two covers even if you are only sleeping in dual situations, but in a three-way situation where you're sharing a bed with two people, having two covers is an absolute must, I think. On the do's and do nots, however, if you have a guest, if, if the person that is the third person in your threesome is kind of a guest of the relationship, isn't a primary member of your relationship, be very careful about just kind of kicking them out of bed as soon as everything is over. You know, they may want to leave and that's fine, but a lot of people, you know, after they've had sex, they don't want to just immediately hop up, put their clothes on and leave. That can feel very awkward and uncomfortable. So kind of prepare ahead of time, know between the three of you, are they going to spend the night? If they're going to spend the night, what are the arrangements? Do they want their own bed? Are they going to share the bed with you? Are they going to stay till morning? You know, have an understanding of that going into it. And that's just good communication. You know, obviously sometimes this happens spontaneously and you don't have all that preparation time. And I have had a couple of, of very surprising spontaneous threesomes then you kind of work it out. You kind of, you know, just ask, you know, do you want to stay or do you want to go back to your own bed? That's fine. You know, do whatever's comfortable for you. If you'd like to stay, you're welcome to stay. Make sure that whoever isn't the two primary members of the relationship has kind of a good feel for what's expected of them. If they're welcome, if they should go off and sleep by themselves, it can be kind of an uncomfortable situation almost more so than the actual threesome because they kind of know what to do in the threesome. Knowing what to do after the threesome can be a little more difficult to understand. Are they welcome to stay with you guys? If so, great. If you'd rather they do go sleep in their own bed, don't make it very abrupt. Don't make it very sudden and don't make them feel like they're being now kicked out. That plays back into the we only wanted you here as a sex toy part. So be very considerate of whoever is the guest member of the threesome. If your threesome involves people that are in a lasting long-term relationship, you know, the three of you are in a polyamorous relationship together, it's not such a big deal. They will know that they can leave if they want to. 
But having been the odd person out in a threesome, it can be very uncomfortable to ask them, you know, hey, do you guys want me to stay here or should I leave? You know, that's a question you don't want to have to ask. So make it clear to them and make them feel welcome. Big tips on having successful threesomes, especially if you want to keep having them with those people. Okay, that wraps it up for kind of my tips and tricks on this side of threesomes. I do have some other recommendations that I'll work into our having a threesome situation in a BDSM sense, which is going to be its own episode because BDSM threesomes can be completely different than vanilla threesomes. Vanilla-ish threesomes. I guess threesomes by their nature aren't very vanilla. But these are non-kink, non-BDSM threesomes. Always enjoy talking to you guys. I'm glad I got into the studio a little bit late this week, but here I am. Been very busy for Katya and I, and I had hoped to get her on this podcast, but you know, two working adults, it can be very hard to get our schedules together, especially as I usually record late at night. I do hope to have her on the next episode about threesomes, which will be the kink and BDSM threesomes. And as I said, look forward to that 50th episode. I think I have that interview lined up, and I think that's going to be a very interesting and informative episode for you guys. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other, and I'll see you next week. One of y'all needs to ask me about crazy sexual stories so I can answer those questions on the podcast because I've had some crazy sex stories, a lot of them involving threesomes. You guys got to ask. Just putting that out there. We might have a very special episode of Wicked Wednesdays because I know Katya has some crazy stories too. In fact, I think there's going to be a recurring segment if I can manage to get Katya into the studio of crazy things Katya has done in BDSM settings because I have some crazy stories. Katya has some crazy stories too. <laughs>